us this evening to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Our text this evening is found in verse number 10 where Peter says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. I can't read that without wishing that I had... uh, had the time to speak more about the people and the purpose for which this letter was written. Uh, I do want to just give you a few highlights, however, that's very evident, and hopefully that'll give you a greater understanding and, I think, appreciation for this particular text. Peter was writing to believers that were living under great hardships, And I think about what's going on in the world today, what's going on in America today, what's going on with many of our church members and family and the difficulties that so many people face today. And I cannot help but think about the difficulties of those early Christians, the persecution that they suffered. And these people had been persecuted. They had been driven from their homes They are uprooted uh, and uh, without any security, as it were, scattered abroad, separated from their loved ones. And that's why I often say, you know, as bad as it is, it always could be worse. And that's really true. Regardless of your situation, there's someone somewhere in a worse situation. And we think about those early Christians and the extreme pressure that they were under and uh, and God's requirements of course never changed the same standard uh, that applies to us applied to them the cost of discipleship remained regardless of the difficulties they faced so in addressing their needs Peter speaks about the one thing that relates to everything and that's grace If you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 2, how he began the letter. In the second verse, he says, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And then notice here in chapter number 5, as he leads up to our text, he says in verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, For God resisteth the proud, notice, and giveth grace to the humble. And then in verse 7, he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then that brings us to our text. But the God of all grace. The grace of God is for you. It's not against you. It's with you. It's not something that is afar off. It's able. It's not helpless. It's helpful. It's not harmful. It's free. It's something that is given, not something that we earn. The Bible gives us many titles of God and many names for God, and it's interesting 
to make a study. And over the years, I've done that on several different occasions to look at the different names that are given and the titles that are given. And they tell us a lot about God because we can simply look at His list of attributes and we get some idea as to who God is and what God does. But whenever we begin to examine the names that, that are given unto Him, all of a sudden uh, we're able to elaborate more fully and deeper uh, on those attributes. We think about, you know, God being uh, uh, um, uh, omniscient. He, he knows everything. and Nothing hid from God. God is omnipresent. He's absolutely everywhere. He's omnipotent. He has all power in heaven and in earth. But whenever we begin to look at the, at the titles that he's given, for example, the Bible speaks about him as being the father of mercies. The Bible talks about him being the God of all comfort. The Bible says he's the God of peace. The Bible says he is the God of hope. He's the God of salvation. And uh, over in uh, Romans chapter 15, it says he's the God of patience and consolation. But here we see him described as the God of all grace. You know, you can't give any serious thought to life without thinking about God, can you? When you think about life, God just comes to your mind naturally. He is the creator. And whenever we think about God, we can't really do so without several things coming to, to mind. We think about our Lord's wonderful works. We think about His precious promises, His lasting love, His marvelous mercy. But we also, maybe more than anything else, think about the greatness of His grace. There's absolutely nothing more amazing in all of the world than the grace of God. And there's no way that we can fully understand it. We cannot explain it. Uh, and as a preacher, you know, the more you try to explain it or describe it to people, it seems that, that there's absolutely no end to the things that you could say, but yet you know there's no way to adequately explain it to everyone. We fail before we even begin, and sometimes I feel like the more I try to describe it, the more I distract from, from its beauty, and yet, and yet, after all of these 55 years of preaching now, I still feel compelled to at least try to give people a glimpse of God's grace, because once we have experienced the grace of God, we want others to know about the grace of God. And we'll see that later when we get to verse number 12, 13, and 14. That's exactly the way it affected Peter, and I think it affects all of us that way. We experience God's grace, and we want the same thing for absolutely everyone. Grace has been described in a lot of different ways. It's the unmerited favor of God. I mean, we could talk about His his kindness and His mercy and all of those things, but it's it certainly has to do with His goodness toward us, with no strings attached, by the way. I, I mean, it's just what God does, even though we don't deserve it. Whenever you, whenever you go to work and you work 40 hours a week and you get a paycheck, that, that is a wage that you earn. If you enter into a contest and you run a race and uh, you win, you get an award and uh, so forth. 
But whenever it comes to the matter of grace, it's something that is given to you without you doing anything. And it's like gravity. Grace always flows from the higher to the lower. It comes from God. All grace is with God. And it always flows down from the greater to the lesser, from the infinite, uh, inexhaustible supply of God. When, whenever Paul said, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory, he's talking about something that is inexhaustible. He didn't say that he'll give you out of as though it were to diminish over a period of time, but he'll give you according to his riches. And according to his riches, there's absolutely no end, you know, to that. And some things, you know, that seem too good to be true, and, and consequently, we, we're maybe reluctant to believe or receive it, but when it comes to God's grace, it's just, it's too good to not be true, because this is something that could never be imagined in the mind of man. There's no way. I read a letter just this last week, a letter that was written several years ago to a preacher that had preached about the grace of God. And the uh, fellow that writing the letter said something to the effect that I appreciate, uh, you know, what you believe about it, and I even have to agree with much you said about it, but I want you to know it is very, very offensive to me and to my family. It offends us because it is though that all of our works and all of our efforts are for naught, that they mean absolutely nothing. And boy, I, the first thought that came to my mind, you talk about pride. That's it. That's a perfect example of pride, how that, you know, that people literally want to have to do something for it because then they can boast about it. But when it comes to grace, there's no boasting about that whatsoever. And we, we keep thinking that we've got to surely do something to appease God. But boy, grace throws all of that out the window because it flows freely. It flows downward and supplies exactly what we need at the right time. We could just talk for hours and hours about the greatness of God's grace. But I want to keep our focus on our text here this evening. The grace of God is something we sing about and we talk about and something that we deeply appreciate because that we have experienced the grace of God. But sometimes we lose sight of the practical value of God's grace in our life. Surely, we're going till the day we die, we're going to be singing amazing grace. Absolutely, we ought to be thankful for that. But God's grace affects us in a number of different ways. And I want to talk to you about that tonight. I want to tell you what Peter says about that. And look at our text again in verse number 10. And notice this statement. He says, the God of all grace, the God of all grace. That means there's only one. The God of all grace. Notice he says, he hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So the first thing about the grace of God that is that it enables us to enter into God's glory. That is the very factor that is needed because were it not for grace, there would have been no Savior given. There would have been no forgiveness of sin. There would be no deliverance from hell. 
there'd be no hope of heaven. Uh, and, and there would be no help that is sufficient to meet our needs except for the grace of God. And it's the grace of God to which we owe everything by way of our salvation. It enables us to enter into His glory. Thank God we are enabled because we could never do it on our own, could we? It's God's enablement that, uh, that provides for us the salvation that Christ provided when He died but notice again in our text, and here's the second thing it does. It enlarges our expectations. He says, he says after, notice this, after ye have suffered a while. Now, although we rejoice in the glory to come, or we certainly should, who doesn't like to sing about heaven? Who doesn't like to think about that glorious reunion day when we'll be gathered around the throne with all of the saints of God that have gone on before? We all rejoice in that. That is a thrilling thought. But even though we rejoice in the glory to come, we have to realize that before the glory there is the grief. But here we see, notice the words, a while. After you have suffered a while. And after that comes the glory, but when he says a while, he's telling us there's an end to it. There's an end to it. It's just for a matter of time. It's not going to be everlasting grief and everlasting sorrow, everlasting suffering. You're going to suffer, but notice it is for a while. Our expectation of what our life is going to be is enlarged whenever we think about the grace of God that He's not going to leave us stuck in the rut of our suffering. I'm so glad for that because it's going to get better. Regardless of how bad it is, it's going to get better. If you're a child of God, and that's why I keep saying the best is yet to come, it's going to get better. We just need to look far enough ahead to see that even after our suffering, that God has big plans for us, and there is coming an end to our suffering. And we know that because it is provided by the grace of God that enables us to enter into His glory. Then in verse 10, we see thirdly that God's grace equips us to endure. Notice the words he says, make you. He doesn't stop there, but just for the moment, notice the words, make you. You know, being a child of God doesn't exempt any of us from suffering. And, you know, God, with all of his wisdom, with all of his power, he doesn't see fit to say, you know, I really like those people down there at Lakeway Baptist Church. Boy, they're, they're, just, they're just a fine bunch of people, and, and I think I'm going, to give them a, a, I'm going to give them a year without any suffering. We'll never have a year like that as long as we're here on this earth. That's just not going to happen. God, with all of his wisdom and in the depths of his love, God allows us to suffer but the good news is while we can't escape it he provides a way that we're able to endure it and that's what he's talking about here the same one who saves us and sanctifies us and strengthens us during our struggles and uh, that's what grace does here notice the four words that he uses that's associated with equipping us for our suffering. Four different words, and the first one he uses is perfect. That his grace will make you perfect. Now, that doesn't mean sinless, 
Someday that's going to happen, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our life here on earth. And that particular Greek word means complete. He'll make you complete. He'll make you fit. It's a word that, uh, that could be translated mend or to repair. And it's used a number of different ways in the Bible. For example, it can be used of restoring harmony among quarreling parties. And all of a sudden, you know, they're coming to agreement and they're in perfect accord. And the Bible uses that same word in that way. It's the same word that's used in regards to setting a broken bone or a dislocated joint. It's used to talk about mending nets or maybe a student becoming like his teacher. And that's what the grace of God does. In spite of our suffering, all of the trials that we go through, notice he says that the God of all grace is able to make you perfect. That is, that he is able to make you complete and make the, the suffering you're going through to work for your good and for his glory. Instead of tearing you down, it's something that will build you up. And I say that because notice the very next word establish that means fix it means confirm it means to render constant it helps us to stand firm even in the midst of our trials it firmly fixed is the idea here to remain steadfast even though we're suffering and sometimes we imagine in our minds if you know i, I a certain situation and we think to ourselves, if I was forced to face that right now the Hilaire family is just on the brink of losing one of their dear loved ones and we've all thought to ourselves, no doubt what if this would happen to my spouse or what if it would happen to one of my children I just don't think I could endure that let me tell you you're selling God short when you when you think that way because God is able to make all grace abound and during the most intense awful terrible suffering of your life the grace of God can help you to remain steadfast and by the way whenever you look back through history at the great great servants of God the preachers that have accomplished so much for the kingdom of God the missionaries that have done so much and inevitably you'll find they all had one thing in common and that was a lot of difficulty a lot of suffering because it takes the fires of affliction it takes the heat it takes the trauma it takes the difficulties in, to enable us to become the person that God wants us to be and that's precisely what we see here so he says that his grace is able to make you perfect to establish you notice and then he says strengthen you that means to make capable it means to enable to meet the demands of life Tim would you come up here and get that and uh, just in case uh, it's a family matter and uh, aren't you glad that God gives you strength the grace of God provides strength whenever you need it the most uh, I, I remember shortly after I was saved and I still had some bad habits and things to overcome, some challenges to face, and, and I realized it was going to be a battle. It was a difficult situation. And uh, I worked for a civil engineer firm at that time. I'd quit the highway department and gone to work for the civil engineer. And uh, at that particular time, I was in design, we were designing subdivisions 
and I'd sit there at that desk uh, all day long, and every once in a while, I can remember it so very well, I'd get up and, and, and go to the bathroom simply to pray because I, I, I would be tempted to go with the guys for a drink after work or whatever. And the verse that I clung to, my lifeline was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Thank God for that supernatural strength. Look, we don't survive by our own ability. It's our, not our, our bulldog determination and so forth. No, it's all by the grace of God that we're able to survive the trials of life. Then he uses a fourth word. He says not only to make you perfect, establish, strengthen, but he uses the word settle. That's an architectural term that means to lay the foundation so as to make something stable. And, you know, because of the grace of God, the, you know, when, when the burdens of life push us down, as it were, and, and, and that's exactly what it does. We talk about a heavy burden that we're bearing. And uh, when that happens, we know that it, it, what, what the trial does is push us down on the bedrock of our faith. That's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul when he spoke about his difficulties. And uh, he's teaching us that we can rely upon God instead of trying to rely upon self. And that's what he did there in Second Corinthians chapter number 12. And he talks about the thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, you can take your guess. Preachers have been doing that for years now, trying to figure out, it doesn't, but it doesn't make any difference what it was. It was just some affliction, whether it's poor eyesight or whatever. It was an affliction. And, and three times he goes to the Lord. Now, if anybody, listen, if anybody had a get-through line to God, it would have surely been Paul. Don't you imagine? Here is a man who said, for to me to live is Christ. And now he's praying, Lord, uh, would you take this, this, this thorn away? And God said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and it was for good reason, by the way, because he knew that if he, if he did, there was the possibility of Paul being lifted up with pride. And who wouldn't be after they've been called up to heaven and they've seen heaven? And, you know, and to think about all the things that he could have said that God wouldn't allow him to say and so um, the bottom line is that God said, no, I'll not remove it. But he said, my grace, my grace will be sufficient for you. And that's why Paul could say that he rejoiced in all of his afflictions because when I'm weak, what? Then I'm strong. That's when we're really strong, when our trials weight us down to the point that, that we are forced, as it were, to put our trust in God, who is the very bedrock of our faith. So thank God for grace, because it enables us to enter into His glory, and it enlarges our expectations of this troubled life that we live. It equips us to endure the difficulties we face, but it doesn't stop there. It also excites us that we might exalt him. Look at verse number 11 now. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's why I said earlier that you cannot think about 
about God unless you think about grace. You can't think about grace unless you think about God. Notice who he is. He says he is the God of all grace. That is, he is the only source of grace. There are no exceptions, and God's cornered the market, you could say, on grace. And uh, because he's the God of all grace, that means that he is also the God of what? The God of hope. He's the God of peace. He's the God of comfort. He's everything we need because of the fact that he is the God of grace. And here we see what he does as the God of grace. And as Peter is praying for these people, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Paul summed all of that up there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. And, you know, we, we could just go on and on and on, elaborate about everything we can think of in regards to grace. For example, that we're saved by God's grace. We are secured by the grace of God. Aren't, aren't you glad that salvation is not only provided, but salvation is eternal? It's by the grace of God that we cannot, we will not lose our salvation. We are saved, we are secured, we are sanctified, satisfied, supplied, and we stand in the grace of God. That's our standing, the rock-solid foundation of God's grace. And no wonder he is excited here and he says to him, Be glory and dominion forever and ever. You know, grace will save you from sin and it'll secure you in any danger, support you in any trial that you'll ever go through and strengthen you under every burden and supply your need. And there's no sin that grace can't conquer. There's no suffering that God cannot soothe by His grace. There's no sinner that grace cannot save, no source other than God. How in the world could we not be excited about something so glorious as the grace of God. As soon as I was saved, I began to thinking about my parents. I mean, that was the thing that hit me most right off the bat because I, I, we had never gone to church ever. We had never read the Bible. The only Bible we had there was an old family Bible uh, from my mother's side that was around there that she had kept for years and years, and, but we had never read it, didn't know anything about it. And there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever that they'd ever received Christ as their Savior. And I can so well remember going to them and speaking to them, telling them what God had done for me, that God had saved me, and, uh, and, and ask them point blank, outright, have you ever received Christ as your Lord and your Savior? You, you, you're excited to the point that you want to tell others. And God's grace is able and adequate. It is abundant in its supply. And, and as he tells us, he says he's able to make all grace abound. One of my favorite Bible conferences that we used to have had to do with the abundant life. You know, that the abundance that God provides. How to live the abundant life. God doesn't just give us a supply that's just barely enough to survive on, just enough to get us through, but he's able to make all grace abound toward us. And that's kind of like piling on more and more and more, far even beyond our immediate need, and that's what he does with his grace. But now look at verse 12. 
to the remainder of the chapter here, and we see, we see the fifth thing that the God of grace does, and that is he encourages us to encourage others. He says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting or testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. One of the, one of the marvelous things to me about the Apostle Paul, I realize this is Peter, but the same thing is true of both of them, and that is their concern for other people. When Paul was writing the, these letters, that the Spirit of God led him to name people in different parts of the world, in different places where he had ministered, different people to whom that had helped him in some way. And here we find Peter, as he closes this letter, doing precisely that. It's, it's as though that, that he's letting them know the grace of God is for all of us, not just a few selective, you know, super saints, but God's grace is for everyone. It's available to whomsoever will receive it. And the very last verse in the Bible says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And it's obvious here that Peter is excited about the grace of God. He's been encouraged by it, and now he wants others to experience it. And he tells us there in verse 12, that was the very reason for his writing. Here they are in suffering, separated from their loved ones. Put yourself in their shoes. Run out of town. Looking back, and there, no doubt many of them had lost their loved ones due to the persecution. They're scattered abroad. They don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to do. But it's as though Peter is saying with each and every one of you, wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever happens, the grace of God is going to be with you. It'll follow you wherever you go. It'll be there during your time of need. And so he ends this letter that way, showing here the, the people that are going through these difficulties that God can be trusted. And it's interesting to me that he's interested in every, every individual. God doesn't pick and choose and say, you know, I really like this bunch over here. They're not just Baptist, boy. They are, they are fundamental, independent, premillennial Baptists. Man, I, I really like them. I'm giving them a double dose of grace. No, no. God's grace is for absolutely everyone. And the church ought to be a place where the people are in close communion with one another simply because God loves all of us. You look around here tonight and... Uh, I, don't, I, hope, I hope it's not true, but you might look around and see somebody that you, you're not overly fond of. I hope that's not the case, but I can tell you in most cases you can, you can find somebody that you're not particularly fond of, but you'll never find anybody that God doesn't love. 
And, and, and listen, regardless of what that person has done, regardless of who they are and all of their faults and all of their failures and what have you, whatever the case might be, there's never a reason for us to allow their bad behavior to provoke us to sinful living. As I often said, we never want their failure to become our fall. Just because they fail doesn't mean that we suddenly have a license to treat them the same way. And that's why Paul could rejoice about the suffering he was going through because suffering has a way, well, it has a way of making us look at people in a different way. When we've gone through it, I'm often referred to my grandma who lived with us for a, a short time. And uh, I remember three things about grandma, basically, and that is she had to be the first to the mailbox every day because she thought somewhere, somehow, somebody's going to send her a big chunk of money. It never did come. And uh, the other thing was that she, uh, she thought fortune tellers, uh, that was the key to the world, you know, finding a good fortune teller, and, and she was really hung up on that. And, uh, but the third thing was, is Grandma, every day, numerous times throughout the day, complained about her arthritis and rheumatism. Oh, my arthritis is killing me. And it's like, Grandma, you said that 30 minutes ago. I, I you know, I, I couldn't believe anybody could be in such a wretched condition that they'd have to talk about it all of the time. But, oh, let me tell you, when, when you get a little older and all of a sudden things go awry and now you look back and think, you say, boy, I wish I'd had more empathy for Grandma. Because now, you know, I kind of know what she's going through. And that's the way life is. I, and especially when we think about our suffering and our trials. Bev and I was talking the other day. And I think about the certain sermons that really have stuck with me because they helped me. And, uh, and surprisingly, uh, I preached a sermon years ago here called Training for Raining. And it has to do with suffering and how that God uses our present suffering to prepare us for what he has for us later on during the millennial reign, for example. Now, I know we often joke about it that, you know, one of us becoming the governor of Texas or whatever, we have no idea what God's plan is, but we know, we know that in some way or another, it's all going to, going to be useful for eternity. And, and Bev commented on that and that she had remembered that sermon and the fact that it had been an encouragement to her. And listen, it's an encouragement to anybody if we'll stop and think that due to the grace of God that will sustain us during the suffering. He'll get us through it. I know it seems like you, you can't make it, but he, he promised he'll get you through it, and then he'll bring you to it, to all of the things that he has promised, and then he will use it for some glorious good for all of eternity. Boy, that's a, that's a promise that we need to cling to each and every day of our life. Because of the grace of God, we can rest assured that nothing, absolutely nothing will ever happen to us but what? But what some good will come out of it. When Paul wrote Romans 8, 28, he didn't put a date on that. You know, things all things will work together for good, you know, on this certain day. 
He, he didn't tell us that we could expect something within the next 30 days. He didn't even give us a category of how the good might come, you know, what, what it might consist of. And we don't need to know that. We just need to know that the grace of God is going to provide some good out of the very worst things that, that, that we will ever experience. And so I hope and pray whatever, whatever it is you're facing, whatever difficulty that you're going through, whatever questions that you might have, understand that the God of all grace is there to help you in your time of need, just as he tells us over here in Hebrews in chapter number 5, uh, and as, as he speaks about the, or chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, Boldly, what? Unto what? The throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've, I commented on this the other day because I've often heard, uh, I've heard people pray. And in fact, I've probably prayed that way before, not thinking about what I was saying. And I've said, uh, and I've heard said, when praying for somebody going through a great trial, God, may your grace be sufficient for them. And it's really silly. You don't need to pray. It, it already is sufficient. What we need to pray is, God, may they discover your grace to be sufficient. They need to make that discovery for themselves. And I'm so glad that regardless of the situation, whether you know, whether you're in the hospital or at the funeral home and with a family that's just lost a loved one or whatever, and they are wondering how in the world am I going to get through this? Well, you'll get through it just the same way that everybody else gets through it, and that's by the grace of God. So leave here tonight encouraged, knowing you'll never, ever face anything that the grace of God cannot defeat. He can supply your every need according to his riches in glory. Let us stand together. Father, how we thank you tonight for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the very thing that we need, although we are so undeserving. We're so thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, that you might just spark a, a, a spirit of revival within each and every one of us. Lord, that you'll use us to be that spark that would ignite revival in the heart of someone else. And may we, as we leave here tonight, may we do so with the determination that we want to share your grace with others by sharing with them the wondrous things that you've done in our life. And Lord, tonight, no doubt there's someone here with a heavy burden on their heart, with a need in their life. And I just pray tonight that they will find your grace to be absolutely everything, everything that they need, all that you've promised, and that the end result will be that you, they'll glorify you because of it. For we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. While Tim leads us in a, in a verse of invitation, if God might be speaking to your heart tonight, or maybe you just want to come and pray, or maybe you just want to bow your head and pray there. Whatever it is, tonight just let God have His way in your life. Amen.